Welcome to Doctor Who's 50 and 50, episode 49. This is the second last in our series discussing major episodes and major stories of the show. In this case, we are looking at Doctor Who the Movie. This originally aired in May 1996. In terms of the Doctor involved, it is Sylvester McCoy for the first seven minutes until he dies. He regenerates into Paul McGann's Doctor at the 27-minute mark in an 86-minute show. So Paul McGann's total screen time as the Doctor is a little under an hour. Now, Doctor Who had been off the air since 1989. To compete in the mid to late 1990s, they would need bigger budgets than what the BBC was willing to spend solo at the time. But the BBC did pair with Universal's MCA and with the Fox Network to try and get Doctor Who on the air as both a British and U.S. production to try and garner more viewers. And this wasn't a reboot or a relaunch, it was just picking up almost where the last one left off. So it still had Sylvester McCoy as the Doctor, Ace is nowhere to be seen, and the Master is back, killed in a court of law, and ready to regenerate. He was actually killed and tried and convicted, sentenced to death on Scarrow. And his last request is for the Doctor to collect his remains. Now, I don't quite understand why the Master's being tried on the Dalek homeworld of Scarrow, and if so, why they're willing to grant a last request at all. And even at that point, why they're willing to just hand his remains to the Doctor and let the Doctor go, instead of trying to kill him as well. That's not even remotely addressed. They just mention offhand that the planet was Scarrow, and that's it. So the other question is, why is the Master asking for the Doctor to collect his remains? Well, that's because now he can become a snake-like blob of transparent goo and take over people's bodies, and he can take over a human body fairly easily, which is apparently going to deteriorate not last very long, but there's no signs of deterioration in the course of this story. Granted, this story takes place over a day and a half, and when you've got the lifespan of a Time Lord, saying it may not last long could mean it'll only last a human lifespan. So he takes over this body fairly easily. It's just the goo crawls into the guy and gives him superhuman abilities. It gives him snake-like eyes. He can spray goo at people, and the people who've been sprayed with this goo can be mind-controlled, not just with regular hypnosis, but right down to developing black eyes on their own. And this whole thing is a big elaborate plot for the Master to steal the Doctor's remaining regenerations for himself. Now, the Master breaks out of a locked box as the form of goo and tries to take down the Doctor. Somehow that process sends the TARDIS into a spin, the Doctor manages to crash land it on Earth, and the Master crawls out through the keyhole in the TARDIS, even though that's apparently not really a hole that can slide out of the way, as we later learn. For the first time ever, the Doctor walks out without checking the scanners to see what's outside of the TARDIS first, walks into a mugging and gets shot once in the shoulder and twice in the leg. One of the guys who is sort of being chased by the mugging, who seems to be a petty thug himself, calls an ambulance for him, puts down his name as John Doe, and gives it to the ambulance driver. The ambulance driver becomes possessed by the master, while the doctor's, you know, being checked at the hospital. They've done three x-rays for a guy with a gunshot wound, without trying to treat the gunshot wounds yet, because they keep getting double exposures that show two hearts. They apparently are able to operate and remove all three bullets, one of which went through the shoulder, through and through, causing no damage, the other two were embedded in the leg. So none of these are potentially fatal, you know, but his heart is racing. They don't know why his pulse rate is so high, so they're going to do exploratory surgery to find out. And the doctor wakes up during the process, tries telling him to stop. He's not human. They put him under with anesthetic, keep going, and kill him during the course of the operation. He eventually regenerates into Paul McGann, 
whose doctor is suddenly strong enough to break down the heavy metal refrigerator room door and walk out of the mortuary, stealing clothes from yet another hospital along the way, as well as freaking out one of the hospital attendants. He partners with the doctor who killed him by not listening to him, just because he remembers her being there and his memory's kind of frazzled from the regeneration and the anesthetic that almost stopped the regeneration. And what he knows is that he needs her help finding an atomic clock to stop the master. Well, thankfully they're in luck. This medical doctor just happens to be on the committee for some sort of advanced technology that just happens to be building the first ever atomic clock of that particular type that's going to launch San Francisco, meantime, on New Year's Day 2000. And the lead scientist calls the year 2000 the new millennium. So apparently... This scientist who's an expert in time doesn't know when the millennium is. Uh, the master hypnotizes Cheng Li, who was the potential mugging victim and street thug who called an ambulance for the doctor and then stole the doctor's stuff when he thought he was dead, gets him to work on his side. And the whole thing comes down to a big face-off in the TARDIS involving the Eye of Harmony, which had been mentioned, but possibly not seen before, at least not seen in any of the episodes I've seen to date. As it goes along, yeah, it's, it's a fairly weak episode, as you may have picked up from my tone up to this point. There's a big bomb drop partway through where the doctor suddenly has to share a secret with Grace, which appears to have no relevance to anything they're talking about at the time, and we have no idea why he decides to trust her at this point, as well as the random guy that she was introducing him to. His secret is that the doctor is half-human on his mother's side, which is something the master discovers independently along the course of this story. That's a particular story point that appears to have been completely ignored ever since. In terms of how this whole thing gets resolved, the doctor himself takes the brilliant chip that he stole from the atomic clock and brings it to the TARDIS to reactivate it because this will somehow someway stop the master and that was his plan all along even though he didn't yet know that the Eye of Harmony and the TARDIS would be involved in defeating the master when he stole the chip. Absolutely everything else that gets done to save the world gets done by Grace Holloway while the Doctor is pretty much useless. Uh, he even invites Grace to come along as his companion at the end but she turns down his offer and Cheng Li, the guy who was about to get mugged after being a street thug himself and driving off the police, who called the ambulance for him, stole his stuff from him, including the sonic screwdriver, and helped the master and tried to steal even more from him to take over the world, is basically rewarded by the doctor giving him a couple bags of gold dust. This doctor is not just incredibly strong, but he's also demonstrating intricate knowledge of every little thing around him. So every person he bumps across, he seems to know their complete future and their complete life story, which I can see happening for celebrities. So if he runs into Charles Dickens or William Shakespeare, or some of those significant figures, yeah, he would have reason to know about their lives. I don't see why he would know every little schmuck on the street. And the structure of the story clearly shows that it was meant as a backdoor pilot hoping to launch a new series. The Sonic Screwdriver is back for the first time since the Peter Davison era, but it is completely inconsequential to the course of the plot. We even have trial companions who could be kept or discarded at will, so Cheng Li could have been brought back. Grace Holloway turned down his offer and walked away. It seems like Fox was testing them and getting ready to recast them if necessary, and given the way Fox was running in 1996 when this aired, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they were hoping for somebody who was perhaps younger than Grace, because shock of all shocks, the actress playing her was a whole 33 years old, and that's just too old for the Fox Network. So generally speaking, this unfortunately is a pretty weak story. Uh, we're discussing it as a Paul McGann episode and the Paul McGann story because it's the only one. 
Of all the things that are wrong with it, Paul McGann himself isn't really a problem. It's hard to judge him completely because this is his only turn as the Doctor, but the vast majority of the problems with this are not from Paul McGann as the Doctor. They're not from Daphne Ashbrook as Grace. They're not from Eric Roberts as the Master. It comes right down to that lousy script, especially coming in as a relaunch. If you're trying to get involved in the series and get used to the classic series, this feels like it is just trying to pick up right where season 26 left off. Multiple references to the history, some of which I appreciate. I like the scarf that he looks at and rejects in the Tom Baker reference. I like the Jelly Babies. There are definite references to past Doctors all the way through and history of the series. The people who made it clearly enjoyed the classic series. It's just that he gets lost in its love of the classic series and doesn't really present new viewers with what they need to understand what's going on. They refer to the Master as another Time Lord multiple times without really saying what the Time Lords are or even clearly stating that the Doctor is one. Now, there are some things I like about it. I do like the return of the sonic screwdriver. They also changed the TARDIS materialization and dematerialization effects a bit, so you get some swirling white energy along with the TARDIS appearing and disappearing itself. So generally speaking, it's... Yeah, it has potential, but I completely understand why they were unable to launch a series based solely on this pilot movie. The ratings in the UK broadcast were there, but the US ratings were not. And quite frankly, I wonder what the UK ratings would have been like on the second episode if this had become a series. Because it just sadly wasn't as strong as it could be. And it's addendum time again. Up to this point, we've been focusing exclusively on content that runs up to and including the 1996 movie, and not covering anything that was produced after that. We are making an exception in this case. On November 14th, 2013, Paul McGann's 54th birthday, they released The Night of the Doctor, a new short starring Paul McGann as the Doctor, through YouTube. If you haven't checked it out yet, just go check it out right now. That's going to be the recommendation. It is a good little mini-sode to watch, and the content following is pretty packed with spoilers. So The Night of the Doctor details Paul McGann in his second live-action appearance, following a series of audio dramas produced through Big Finish Productions. Their dramas have included a lot of Eighth Doctor stories, as well as a number of the other Doctors. So Paul McGann has had time to refine his portrayal of the Doctor, even if it is only in audio format. And that refinement comes in loud and clear here. We actually get a much more fully formed Doctor in this 6 minute and 49 second clip than we got in the 1996 movie. Now, a large part of that difference would simply be the fact that this has a stronger script, even if it is short. We see the Doctor swooping in to save a crashing spacecraft at the last possible second, or close to it, inviting the pilot to come along as his companion with some nice banter, including things like, you know, we're going to the back of the ship because the front crashes first. Think it through. When he invites her into the TARDIS, she immediately recognizes the TARDIS, especially when he says it's bigger on the inside. She realizes he's a Time Lord, and because of the effect that the Time War is having... On the universe, she wants absolutely nothing to do with him. Now, the Time War is something that happened in between that 1996 movie and the 2005 series. It is going on already when the story is being told. And whatever is going on with it, it is so horrific that Cass, the pilot, even comments that you can't really tell the difference between the Time Lord and the Daleks anymore, and that he might as well run off and go to his work as some of the universe is still standing. Anyway, the ship crashes, with both of them still on board. They both die, but it crashes on the planet of Karn, and the Sisterhood of the Karn is present, and they bring the Doctor back to life but only temporarily long enough to help him kick off a controlled regeneration. So he can choose who he's going to regenerate into. And with 
the encouragement of the Sisterhood of Karn and Cass's body lying right there in front of them, he chooses to regenerate into a warrior. And that is the John Hurt incarnation that we see for the first time. So it's a great little short. It shows what Paul McGann is actually capable of in the role, which is quite impressive. And it bridges things nicely into tomorrow's podcast, where we discuss not one, not two, but three different stories, and we'll discuss which three those are and talk about why they were chosen when we get into tomorrow's podcast. So thank you for listening, and please join us again tomorrow for the final episode of Doctor Who's 50 and 50.